How are we doing, people? We're doing good? Um, just before we start, could um, the ushers start handing out our journals? And I'll explain those to you guys shortly. Um, just give me a moment to... Um, so Craig is in um, Fiji. He has been there all week. Um, he will be back tomorrow. Um, but he... Um, is absolutely exhausted because it's been two and, a, two and a bit years since he's actually had to minister like this uh, day and night for a week. So he is um, totally shattered. Like uh, I spoke to him uh, last night and he was just like, I forgot how hard this is. I forgot how, how draining this is. And um, so, yeah, they like when he goes to Fiji, they do work him hard, um, but they pay him in food. Um, which he says is, is a two-edged sword, because on one side, he really appreciates the food. On the other side, you know, he then has to come back and try and work it all off. So, um, yeah, so he's not looking forward to that. Um, so if you guys could just um, pray for him. He's got one last uh, meeting tonight. Um, I believe their first service uh, will be finishing roughly because they start quite early. Um, he would appreciate that. Um, so just one thing on the conference. Um, if you could volunteer, if you can help host the conference in any way, if you can, if you've got some a few hours spare that you can actually help out with the conference, we would love for you to let us know that. Um, anyone who does volunteer for the conference, the conference is free. There's no charge for you. Um, so yeah, if you can give any time, please let them know at the info desk. Um, so that we can host and host well, because our church has a reputation of putting on the best conferences for the movement, and we would like to maintain that um, as, uh, you know, just because it's good. It's just good to know that we do something well, right? Yeah. All right, so hopefully you've all just been given one of these journals, right? So what we wanted to do is for nine weeks, because this series will take nine weeks, um, is to give you space and time to consider what you're hearing. So you will find in here that there's a space to write mess, like notes from each message each week. Then you'll, there's another page where um, it just gives you a really short reading. And then there's like almost like an activity you can do throughout the week just to reinforce what you're learning, just to reinforce your understanding, hopefully the revelation that God has been giving to you. Um, so we'd really encourage you to get on and do that. Um, we know like this is a long weekend and we've got another long weekend coming up in a couple of weeks. If you miss any of it, I highly recommend that you watch the videos. Like you go to Vimeo, go on our Facebook page, download the message on Podbean or iTunes um, and listen to it. Because as always, with series, it builds one upon the other, right? It's not just... You can do standalones, but to get the full benefit of what you're being taught and what God is saying, it's beneficial for you to follow through. Does that make sense? Now, you should have a pen in the seat pocket in front of you. If you happen to sit in the front row, just reading behind and whip one of the pens out before the people realize you've done it. Um, and yeah, so just, just uh, it'll be helpful, I promise. All right, so are we ready for this? Are you ready? All right, so... I've got the privilege of starting off with the first one, so I'm going to do a little bit of a foundation before I actually get into the message itself, because there's a few things that we need to probably understand, right? One of the things is that we are concerned about in general is that we live in this world at the moment that has really screwy values or non-existent values. The world at the moment is telling us that, that values are, are not really necessary, that you can invent your own values and you can change your values whenever you like. The concern that we have about this isn't so much that that's what the world's doing. My biggest concern is that that's what I see Christians doing. Like, I see Christians operating and behaving the same way. And this deeply concerns me because the values that our world says are important 
are not kingdom values. They are not the values that God says are important. The values that God says are important, he established at the start of time, and they are consistent. They are the same. They have not changed. We've been singing about it. He is the same God. His values are the same. The world's values chop and change according to whoever happens to be in power and their particular bent, just to be really blunt. So we're going to look at what is God's values. And there's this great passage of Scripture And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' greatest sermon. And it covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I highly recommend you actually sit down and read it in its entirety through the chapters 5, 6, and 7. Because most of us, we might read a chapter, so we stop halfway. But I really encourage you, at some stage, over this next nine weeks, read chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're only going to be looking at the start of it. But this sermon... People say that if you take all the good advice in the world, if you take everything that psychiatrists say and counsellors say and you boil it all down, removing all the, the foolish stuff that they say, but if you boil it all down, what you're going to end up with is a poor imitation of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually really important. This is a great message for us. The Sermon on the Mount has sometimes been called uh, Jesus' declaration for the kingdom. You know, the American revolutionaries had their Declaration of Independence, and Karl Marx had his uh, Communist Manifesto. What Jesus had was his Declaration of the Kingdom, which is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus declared what his kingdom was all about, what was interesting was it was completely different to what the nation of Israel thought the Messiah was going to say. It did not come with a political agenda. It didn't come with words that were going to describe how he was going to overthrow Rome. What he did was he expressed the implication of having Jesus as the ruler of our life. You see, this great passage of Scripture talks about how we will live when Jesus is Lord. You see, a lot of us are really happy to have Jesus as Savior. We love Jesus as Savior, right? Amen? We're all here because we love Jesus as Savior. What we struggle with is Jesus as Lord. We have an issue about Jesus being Lord of our life. We want him to be our Savior, but I don't know if I really want him to be Lord because then I have to do it the way he says, and I kind of want to do it the way I said. That, that's, and this is the difference you have between people who say they are Christians, love Jesus as Savior, and people who are disciples, because I have Jesus as Lord. And one of the things that we've noticed over the last two years is we need to make sure that our people and our churches are disciples and not just Christians. Amen? So you will notice the preaching has been a lot more directive lately and has been a lot more, I was going to say in your face, but let's go with the word blunt, because that's probably a bit nicer. So it's important that you understand that this particular passage of Scripture doesn't actually deal with salvation as such but it talks about how we're supposed to have Jesus as king and how we live that out in our daily life and how we live that out in our ethics and in the way that we think. Now, the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount is known as the Beatitudes, right? And this is what we're going to be talking around. The Beatitudes actually is just a fancy way of saying the blessings. And it's for every believer for what our be attitude should be. It's basically saying this is what our attitude should be like. That's why it's called the Beatitudes. These could also be called kingdom values. In other words, this is what Jesus says that we have to live by. These are the attributes. These are the values. These are the character traits that we as disciples need to have. 
All of these character traits mark us and are goals for us to work towards to be Christians. It's not like we can major on one of them to the exclusion of the others. Like when we talk about um, the gifts of the Spirit, we talk about having gifts and callings, we can focus on just one or two of those. This passage of Scripture, the Beatitudes, is not something that you can go, oh, I'm just going to do that one. No, no, you actually have to have all nine of these. All nine of these need to be operational in your life or visible in your life. And you know what? If you meet Christians and you don't see these operating in their life, you could probably quite rightly question where their salvation sits because they don't have kingdom character. The thing about these particular values is they are completely countercultural to the values of this world. You will find this nine weeks a little bit of a struggle because it's going to challenge what the world has told you to value. It's going to challenge what the world tells you how to achieve and how to be successful because the way that God says you gain success is not at all the way that the world says it. So it will be challenging to you. I'm just warning you because I don't want you to come in and think it's going to be your happy clappy. You're going to be challenged. I've been challenged just putting this week together. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. And it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the one we're going to do today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's going to be next week. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And seriously, we need a bit more meekness in our world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. How many of us know that we need more mercy in this world? This world is full of a lot of judgment, a lot of hate. We go around cancelling people because we don't like something they say. We can't be friends with someone because we don't like something they say or they believe. We need mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We need peacemakers, because a peacekeeper will do whatever they can to keep the peace. But a peacemaker knows sometimes you need a battle to get the peace. It's going to be an awesome, awesome message. I can't wait for that one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you can see where we're going to go with this message, right? You know what this next nine weeks is going to look like. So as we talk about this over the next nine weeks, these countercultural values, and what we're going to talk about is how can we apply them to our life? How can we um, live them out in our life? How can we make them so that they are a part of us? But before we do that, there's something you need to remember. And each week, I need you to remember these two things. The first thing is that these statements reveal where true happiness can be found. They all start off with the word blessed. The word bless in the Greek is actually a really difficult word for our translators to be able to put into, into English, right? Because they will usually use the word blessed as in you have lots of stuff, or else they'll use the word happy. The problem with the happy is that it's about circumstances or moments. It comes from the, the word hap, where we get the word happenings from, right? So I am happy because the sun is shining. I am not happy because there was a lot of traffic today. I am happy when the Warriors win. I am not happy when they lose, which tends to be the state, right? So it's, it's, a really, it's around the moments of things. So this is not the, not the way that we use this word. The correct translation for this word blessed means that you have an internal joy that 
will be joyful regardless of your circumstances around you, regardless of what words are being said, regardless of the situation you're in, that you still carry this joy. That's what this word blessed means. It's not for a moment. It's for a, a, it's just the people of God, because you have God on the inside of you, you live with this joy that circumstances do not work. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's one of those really hard ones to explain. And I suspect it's one of those ones that you don't really understand until you've experienced it. So the next nine weeks, this is telling us how we're going to live if we live in that joy. It is completely countercultural to the world around us. The second thing that you need to remember is that each statement has a promise. It has the potential of what can be ours. We start off with what the blessing is, then we start off with what our promise is. Because each one of them, depending on the version of the Bible that you're reading, will either say for they or for theirs is. And what follows is the promise of what you can gain. You see, Jesus didn't come just to heal you. Jesus came to restore your marriage. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to bring healing to your world, to remove the pain out of your life. He came to give you fullness, not just a moment of salvation. He came to stir up the gifts of God on the inside of you and to give you a joy beyond anything you could ever know. Too many people go to heaven not realizing all that God has for them. We live our life thinking that salvation was all that he had for us, but he has so much more. There is so much potential that we miss out on. People ask all the time, what does God require of me? I don't want that to be your question for the next nine weeks. Instead, I want your question to be, what more does God have for me that I don't know yet? Can we do that? Yeah, we can. Awesome. All right, so we're going to tackle this first one. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think this is the most important one. I know it's first, so generally we think it's important anyway, but I think this one is the most important. I don't believe that if we can't understand this one, if we don't get this one right, I don't think you're going to be able to get the others. It's almost like a ladder, right? To be able to climb the ladder, you have to stand on the first rung. The thing that's most important about this beatitude is that this is where we all start with God. Everyone starts here. It isn't blessed are the pure or blessed are the holy or blessed are the spiritual. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. And every one of us has been poor in spirit, right? And this is where we start. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not man saying he's insignificant or that he doesn't have value. It's a confession that he is sinful, that rebellious, that we are utterly without moral virtues to recommend us to God. But what happens is, is that when you come to God in that state of understanding that you are spiritually bankrupt, then you can gain the whole of the kingdom. The word poor in the Greek has two meanings. The first one is poor as in you don't have enough. We would use it to say someone is poor because they don't have enough money, right? That's, that's one meaning when you translate the word poor. The other meaning is that you have nothing. You are completely destitute. It's not just that you don't have enough of something. You just don't have it at all. When you read the word poor, that's what it means here in the scripture. It means you are completely destitute. Let's look at what a couple of other translations are trying to say the same thing. The New Living Translation puts it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God's Word translation says, Blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. The New Century Version, 
They are blessed who realize their spiritual poverty, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And I actually really like this one from the New International uh, Children's Bible. Those people who know they have great spiritual needs are happy. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I guess we could kind of merge them all together and have it say, blessed is the person who realizes that they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, one who realizes their absolute need for God. Blessed is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, one who realizes their absolute need for God. Here's the problem. In our very comfortable Western world that we live in, we actually don't know how poor we are. We don't know how poor in the spirit we are. Because what happens is when we have a lot of things, materialistic things, when we have a lot of things, we don't really have a true understanding of, of that we don't have a lot spiritually. We assume that having a lot of material possessions equates to having a lot spiritually. And that's just not true. You see, in our world, we have lots of options. The world that we inhabit, our Western world that we live in, we have lots of options. We can work. We can buy the things we need. We can buy the things we don't need. We can gain things. We can work hard and get promotions. And you may not understand it or you may not believe it, but you are actually incredibly blessed by the fact that you have a lot of these things materially. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't have as much as so-and-so or whatever, but you know what? 99.5% of the world would actually change places with you on your worst day. We live in New Zealand. If you are unemployed, you can still get finances to help you eat, to help you have shelter. These things are available to us just because of the fact that we live here in New Zealand. You're actually blessed whether you believe it or not. Problem is... We had this abundance. We don't really think about it, but it kind of sits there. We had this abundance in our life. We have what we perceive as a blessing in our life. We are self-satisfied. The major problem with that is we will never depend on something we don't think we need. People that are poor in spirit understand that they can't get this on their own. You can't gain the fullness of the kingdom. You can't gain all that God has for you on your own. Problem is, most of us think we can. And I'm not trying to insult you or offend you when I say that, but I've had lots of conversations over years with Christians, and a lot of Christians seem to think that they can do this themselves. We experience that moment of being poor in spirit and that understanding of being poor in spirit, where we know that we have nothing, we usually experience that moment in salvation. When you come to Christ and you realize that you're a sinner, when you come to Christ and you realize that you are destitute, that you have nothing, we seem to have, we have that moment with salvation. But for most of us, because of the world that we inhabit, that's where it stays. But that actually needs to be what we carry forward. We've become way too self-satisfied, and we need to recognize that we are actually spiritually destitute. This is why missions trips are actually really, really important. And I know we haven't been able to do them over the last two years, but Craig is determined to restart them. Missions trips are amazing. If you have a teenager, I highly recommend you send your teenager on a missions trip. If you yourself have never been on a missions trip, you need to create time, create the money so that you can go on a missions trip. The reason why I'm saying this is because when you're on a missions trip, you will realize how destitute you really are. Because what happens is you meet these wonderful little children who are so excited to see you. They own one suit of clothing, they get one meal a day, and they are so happy because you've turned up and you're going to play some games with them. We have so much 
yet we lack. I don't know if you, if you were in the service a couple of, a few weeks ago when Craig talked about, about when God rocked up when he was on a missions trip and he actually saw people physically healed. When he saw people's bodies actually have a lack of something and, and be completely healed. This happens when he's on mission trips. Do you know why it doesn't happen here? Because we are, do not believe that we are spiritually destitute. We actually don't believe that we are spiritually helpless. We actually think because we've got all this stuff and we've got access to doctors and we've got access to, to all this great medical stuff, so we don't have and we don't live in that need that I need God, that I have a spiritual need. Like I said, we have it for our salvation, and then we tend to just not have it again, right? I know it's a bit, it's a bit challenging, but you need to go on a missions trip. They help shape a correct perspective for you. Craig always says that when he goes on a missions trip, that he gets ministered to more than he actually ministers to other people. So I, you know, when you're planning out your budget for the next year or so, build one in. You need to go. Mother Teresa said it. She said, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And we say these things, but until you go somewhere and experience that, you don't actually understand. When you are destitute and you have nothing but God, you're actually going to be the happiest. And the Bible says that when you are in that state, that you are blessed. One of the most challenging things for me to do is to actually try and teach this principle because we have so much. So it's hard for us to conceive that I am actually spiritually destitute, that I am actually spiritually helpless, right? It is a struggle. I've been, I've been working on this message for weeks, and I'm still trying to get my head around it. But what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to show you that you don't have as much as you think you do, that you are, in fact, destitute and poor and needy and utterly helpless, and that when you have this realization and when you stand before God, you're going to be blessed, and he's going to open for you the entire kingdom, every promise, every prosperity, everything you need will come from the kingdom when you have that mindset. Revelation 3.17 says, it was actually, this was one of the seven letters that um, was being written that John was writing to the churches, and this is the one that he wrote to the church in Laodicea, and he has this really interesting line, and it says, because you say, I am rich, I have my salvation, I'm all good, I have my salvation, I'm going to heaven. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, there are times when the Bible is really vague. This was not one of them, you know? Like, sometimes you read scriptures, you're like, what is God saying? No, I think it's pretty clear. He's saying that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. So we're pretty blunt here. But what I would love to have happen is for you to have a realization today that without Jesus, you are spiritually bankrupt, that you are spiritually destitute, that you are pitiful, that you are poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked, and when you get to this place where you understand that you have nothing, then your reliance is fully on Jesus, and that's when you are blessed. So there are four things I want to show you, four reasons that you are destitute without Jesus. The first one is, without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. We think we have a role in salvation, that if I come to church, that if I tithe, I serve, give offerings... You know, if I come to God and I say, I'm sorry, do you know that you can ask for forgiveness for your sins and not be forgiven? Your sins not be forgiven? Because it's not the asking for forgiveness of sins that forgives your sins. Your sins are forgiven 
when they're paid for. We, we tend to think it's the saying, I'm sorry, the asking of forgiveness. It's not. Your sins are forgiven when they're paid for. See, God just doesn't come along and say, well, you know, you're trying, and you're being a good person, and, and you know, you've been attending church, and, and you've been trying to be a spiritual person. You said sorry, so, so I'm going to forgive you. I'm, I'm going to, you're all good. That's not what happens. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only payment that is acceptable for sin is death. Someone had to pay for what you did. You saying sorry didn't do that. Someone had to pay for what you did. Someone had to pay for what I did. And saying sorry actually isn't the payment. The payment isn't doing good things. The payment isn't living spiritually well. The payment isn't even turning up to church. The payment is death. All of sin has a bill attached to it, and the only currency accepted is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Jesus, I have the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. Hell is not a place where God sends people he is mad at. It's not. Hell is a place where people go to pay for their own sins. Theos Yu this um, week put out a meme and it says, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But don't take a lot of comfort in that sinner because it's not the sin that goes to hell, it's the sinner. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them one at a time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, mercy is not being given what you deserve, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in his transgressions. It is by grace being given something you don't deserve. It is by grace that you have been saved. I was thinking about this and, and, and the best way to kind of explain it and break it down. Did you know that Visa have what they call the infinite card? So they have different levels of cards, right? And different values are put in these cards as to how much you can spend on these cards, right? Visa's top card that they have is called the infinite card. This is unlimited. And it's unlimited not just in it has no limit on the amount of bill, like, like stuff you can buy, but it doesn't even have a daily limit. It doesn't have a monthly limit. You can just go mad. Now, this is not a card that everybody can get, right? This is a card that is only given to certain top rich people. What's really interesting about this card is it comes with these benefits that the other cards don't have, right? And one of these benefits that it comes with is that it gives you access to every single airport lounge in the world. Did you know that? If you have this card, you can just flash that card. You don't have to belong to that particular airpoints program or that airline. You flash it. You can go into any airport, air lounge, you know, airport lounge that you want. It can give you top of the line. If you go to um, hotels and you flash that, then you will get put at the top of the queue to get your car valeted. You will get put at the top of the queue to get the service. Like this card, like when I was looking at the benefits that this card gives you, it's amazing, right? And I was thinking about it like this. Oh, there was a part of the program that I thought was really cool is that, like, if, if my husband was ever reaching that pinnacle and he got this card, he can issue a partner card. 
I'm partner. Not the children, me, just to clarify. So then I can take this card and I can use it in the exact same way. I can unlimited expenditure, I can go into any airport lounge, I can get the top of the queue, like all of this stuff, right? This is what happens though. If I don't activate the partnership card, then I can't, then, you know, it doesn't work. I was thinking about this with Jesus. Jesus offers us this free, amazing gift, right? Where he said to us, he said to every single person on the face of this planet, here is your partnership card. It will give you access to everything, everything you want. Now, we live our lives as if we have access to everything. You know, we, we, you know, we talked about just in the scripture here, we talked about how we wander the world, we do all the things we want. Now, when it comes time to pay the bill, because I have a partnership card with Jesus, he's paid said bill. I don't have to pay. But if you don't have a partnership card with Jesus, who's going to pay your bill? That will be you. We incur a debt that has to be paid. And thankfully for most of us, Jesus has stepped into our life and he has paid our bill. And when we realize that, we can have a different worship experience with him. We can follow him in a different way and live out our life in a different way. The second thing is without Jesus, I can only cope through my pain and my personhood. Who you are is who you are. What happened to you is what happened to you. And there's actually nothing you can do about it. Now, without Jesus, the most you can do is just put a Band-Aid on our hurt, right? We can just, just kind of try to patch up our wound, and we have to live with that pain. We still have to live out our life, and sometimes we do it hating people. Sometimes we do it still by getting hurt by people. And we learn to cope through our issues. We learn to just cope. You know, we, we start to think, say things like, you don't understand, meanness runs in my family. My father was mean, my grandfather was mean, and his grandfather was mean. Like, like we're, just, we're just mean people. That's just the way that we are. You know, blood tells. It's just the way it is. This, is. this is just how God has made me. People say that all the time, particularly in today. This is just who I am. This, this is my truth, and I have to live out my truth. But you know what? This is actually not what God has for you. That's not what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. God's intention for you was to never live with your pain, was to never live with your issues. The most you can get out of this world might be tolerable recovery where you can function in society and function in your family and function at work, but you still have this, this pain and this wound that just eases. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. The world cannot bring you healing. The world can't do it. As smart as we think we are as humans, and as nice as some of your counselors might be, or your psychiatrists, or, they just can't. They cannot bring you complete healing. I was thinking about this, about what I was like when I didn't have Jesus. right? So without Jesus, and I had to go back a few years, but without Jesus, I was pretty aggressive. I was pretty stroppy. I was suspicious. I would dive into some conspiracy theory and I would drink all the Kool-Aid and run down rabbit holes, and, but it kind of left me with this edge of, of hardness and suspicion and real aggressive. I could be, you know, I'd get into arguments on purpose just so I could beat people up with my words. But what I discovered 
And if I look back in my life over what God has done, when I have found God, I, like, I still like conspiracy theories, but now I'm anchored in the word so I don't get lost. I don't get so aggressive with people. In fact, I've been even known to hug people, like freely, without them having to come and ask for them. Like seriously, if you've been in this church for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. You know, but I'm not aggressive. and I'm not angry at people. I'm not suspicious of people. In fact, probably in my family, I'm the most forgiving. I'm the one who doesn't hold grudges the most. I'm the one who's able to let things go. And this is all thanks to Jesus because not only did Jesus save me, but he healed me of the hurts that I was carrying and he transformed my life so that I am no longer that person, but I am the person that he has always wanted me to be. Because of Jesus, I have the power to be healed and transformed. I don't have to live how my family says I have to live. I don't have to live being mean because everybody else in my family was mean. I can live in the transformation that God has brought me. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 to 25, who himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd. And I love this bit. And the overseer of your souls. Did you know that God oversees your soul? That whatever condition your soul might be in right now, that it can be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit? In fact, as we were kind of, Craig and I have been talking about this series and, and talking about this week in particular, I really want to pray at the end of the service because I feel like there are some people who are suffering from a lameness of your soul that your soul has been hurt and has been damaged and there's, a, there's a, a wound sitting in your soul and I really feel that God wants to bring complete healing to that. So we're going to do that at the end of the service because he didn't come just to save you and he didn't come for you to band-aid your life, but he came to heal you and to transform you in Jesus' name. You don't have to stay who you are. You can be wholly transformed by the power of God. Galatians 5, to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, this is when you hang out with Jesus. This begins to happen in your life. When you read his word, this begins to happen in your life. When you apply his word and his principles, this begins to happen in your life. You begin to see this fruit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those fruit you can have experiencing in your life. You get around God long enough and these things just begin to flourish and grow. But you know what? You only get these things when you realize you don't have them. When you realize that you are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of God. You're going to get the kingdom of God when you come to God with that realization that you have nothing. Number three, without Jesus... I'm trying to find or create my own life. What am I supposed to do with my life? You know, people ask that all the time. What am I supposed to do with my life? You know, the Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. He sets a sense of purpose inside of you. And this is, this is the thing that I love about God. He puts this sense of purpose that you know you're supposed to do something. You know you're supposed to have some significance to your life. But then he doesn't tell you what it is. And he doesn't tell you what it is because he wants you to draw from him. He wants you to come to him and ask. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. See, God knows what his plans for you are. You don't know what your plans are. 
You don't know what his plans are for you. But that's okay, because God knows what the plans are. And if you go to God, he's going to tell you what those plans are. The plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. If you go looking for your plans anywhere other than God, you will not find them. It's like each person is birthed with this God-sized hole in your life. And when you know you're supposed to fill it with something, and when you don't have Jesus, you begin to try and fill it with everything else. We're going to fill it with our career. We're going to fill it with alcohol. We're going to fill it with drugs. We're going to fill it with food. We're going to fill it with sports. We're going to... You try to fill this hole, and it might help for a little while, but eventually there's such a dissatisfaction because you know that God has created you for something more. God knows the plans he has for you. And the world comes along and it says the complete opposite. It says that you're an accident. It says that, that you're just nothing. You were just goo. You were just like floating in the plasm or whatever, and you crawl out by some strange coincidence. You just crawl out of this, this soup, and then you grow a tail, and you go here, and then the ice age hits. Then you lose your hair, which seems dumb because it's an ice age. You probably needed the hair. Then your tail falls off, and then you kind of get upright, and then you might grow some more hair in some other places, and next thing you know, you're a person. And for some reason, apparently that's more believable than believing that there is a God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. I do not understand why I'm the crazy person, and they're not. (laughs) Right? I mean, seriously. Honestly, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. God has a purpose for your life. Your circumstances of how you got here might have been accidental. It might not have been planned. It might not have been the greatest of circumstances. But God has determined your days before you were even born. God knows exactly what plans he has for you and what it is he requires of you. Because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am and what my life is all about. Don't just settle for salvation. You can be healed. You can be transformed. You can live with purpose and become significant. Acts 17, 26 to 28 says, From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of the own prophets have said, we are his offspring. For in him we live and move and have our being. We need to realize how spiritually poor we are so that we will seek him. Because we will live in him. We move in him. We have our being, we have plans and purposes and significance are all wrapped up in who he is. Colm, can you come and minister on the keys, please? The last one. Without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that fade away. You will only live your life for temporary joys. I really enjoyed this meal. Ah, I didn't really like that one. I really enjoyed this league game because the Warriors won. I did not like last night's one because we lost. Temporary joys. I really enjoyed this holiday, but I didn't like that one. You know, it rained, so it wasn't good. Temporary joy. We live in a world full of temporary joy, and they celebrate it, but that is not what God has for us. 
There's a tomb called, and I hope I'm going to get this right, Anahedonia. And it's a, it's a term they use, counselors use, psychiatrists use, to, as a symptom of depression. This means the inability to feel pleasure in normally pleasurable activities. Basically what it is, is stuff that you used to find joy in, you don't find joy in those things anymore. And this is, if you're experiencing that, you're probably experiencing a, a, a form of depression. We'll pray for you. You've lost your joy. Things that used to bring you joy, they just don't anymore. Things that you used to really get excited about, eh, bleh, don't really care. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The world would have you live from temporary joy to temporary joy, but God would have you live with an inheritance that does not fade, that does not corrupt, that is undefiled. Do you know what your inheritance is? Do you know what your purpose in life is? It's actually to impact the lives of others. Your inheritance is people. Psalm 2 says, Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. The happiest people on the planet are actually the ones who are impacting other people's lives for eternity. Without it, you are poor. Because every other joy you chase, whether it's just fun or sports or family or food or whatever, it will last for a minute and then will fade away. Because of Jesus, I can have the joy of living a life that glorifies God and impacts others. John 15, 8 to 11 says, This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. See, Jesus' joy isn't the same as is understood as, as happiness or excitement. The joy of Jesus is not the pleasure of a life of ease. It's exhilaration of being right with God and consciously walking out in His love and His care. You can have that joy. We can have that joy because we're going to abide in His presence and His presence will bring that joy. You'll never be happy with your life until you start using your life to impact others. That's one of the things that, you know, for those of you who know, you know, working for Te Potama, working with these kids who can be awful, just awful. They can be. They can be just, you know, because they got kicked out of school for whatever reason and they're difficult and they fight and they're just, they just fight everything and everybody and every, you know, they don't want help, but they need help. But when you have those moments and you serve your life and you give your life serving these kids, and when they begin to get it, it's the most satisfying thing on the face of the planet. When one of those kids comes back to us years later and says, thank you, that does more for me than anything else. That satisfaction that you get, that sense of significance of seeing somebody's life change for the better is amazing. You'll never be happy unless you lose your life to impact the lives of others. So what's the big idea of the first beatitude? The poor in spirit are those who recognize that they're spiritual, spiritually 
destitute. And casting aside all of your self-dependence, you're going to seek God's grace. If I could sum it up in a couple of words, it's quite simply coming to God, saying, Jesus, I need you. When you're in that state, when you have that belief, when you know that, Jesus, I need you, then you're going to be blessed. And then you're going to gain the full kingdom of heaven. Every promise is yes and amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to pray. I told you it was a bit of a difficult one. So I want to pray that that as you mull over this this week, that God's going to reveal that to you. And then I want to pray for those who are experiencing a lameness in your soul. Yeah? And for those of you who are in a good place, I want you to be praying. I want you to be lifting your voice, praying on behalf of your brothers and sisters. Yeah? Impacting somebody else's life, uplifting them, seeing them get, gain healing and hopeful transformation. So let's pray together. Eyes closed, hands lifted. Father, I thank you, God, that you have given us your words to live by, that you've given us words, Father, which might be challenging in the face of the world that we live in, but, God, that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Father, that we'll be able to live these out and walk these out. We thank you, God, that we will gain today, Father, an understanding that we are spiritually destitute, that we are poor in spirit, And God, that as we remember that and we come to you with that as the thought, as that as the foundation underneath every time we come to you, God, Lord, that you will open the kingdom of heaven to us, Lord, and the fullness thereof. God, that we'll begin to see that the fruit of love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of those, Father, that begin to grow in our life because we come to you saying, God, I am destitute. God, I have nothing. And Lord, that as we come to you like that, we're going to begin to see that growth, Father, because all of that growth comes from you and not from this world. And I pray, God, that this week, as we dwell upon your word, God, that we would have a personal revelation for each one of us. And Lord, that we'll be able to lay a hold of it. And Lord, that we'll be able to come to you, knowing Jesus, I need you, and begin to see the outworking of the kingdom. Pray, God, for those who have been experiencing that real lameness in their soul. God, we thank you that your word says that you're the overseer of our soul. God, for those who, Father, have been anxious, Lord, they've been experiencing worry and panic attacks. Lord, for those people, Father, who are really fearful about what the future holds. God, that they would anchor themselves upon your word. Lord, that they would remember that you are the overseer of their soul, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Lord, that you are all that we need, Father, and that, Lord, that they would come to you and you would bring complete healing to their situation right now. Lord, that you would actually impart your spirit no matter where they are, God. Lord, that they would have that anointing upon them, Father. Lord, to move forward and beyond that fear. God, that they would see, Father, that they are not standing alone by themselves. But God, that they would see that you are standing right there with them, arms wrapped around them, holding them through. God, that you would just continue to work on bringing healing into their lives. 
Father, for those of us who are working on transformation, Father, from leaving the things that the world have said that we are and becoming the things that you have said that we are, Father, we just pray, Lord, that your transformation power would just overflow in our lives. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you, God, that you are a God who heals, that you are a God who transforms. We thank you, God, that you paid for our sins, Father. We thank you, God, that you are a God who has put significance and eternity on our heart. And God, that you have plans and purposes for us that we will outwork. We thank you, God, that we are a blessed people because we know that we are poor in spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Awesome. Well, hopefully that was a good start to our series. I really pray that you will just continue and, um, yeah, take the time this week. Go over your notes. Do the soap. In fact, actually, Madison, can you just come and explain what soap is to everybody? That would be awesome. Only because I know that the youth do it, and that's, that's kind of where we stole it from. Um, S is for scripture, O is for observation, A is for application, and P is for prayer. We normally do it scripture, scripture, O observation, we do it as what do you see? When you read that scripture, answer the question, what do you see? When you do application, ask the question, how does this change my life? That's really the easy way to do it when you're reading that scripture. And then P, lastly, pray. If you don't know what to pray, just pray for the scripture. All right, so hopefully that will help everybody. So for the next nine weeks, we'd like you to commit yourself to doing that. Is that all good? You think you can do it? For those who um, aren't, who, oh, for those who are watching online and you aren't here and you haven't got a book, they will be available next week. Um, if you know somebody who you're going to see this week, you can grab one and give it to them and encourage them to do it. Is that all good? Otherwise, stick around, have some tea and coffee with us, um, and get to know us. If you have uh, filled in your Live Connected card, just drop it in there. Oh, the other thing is, if you do not have a Bible, we do have Bibles available. You can grab one of those for yourself at the info desk. Otherwise, have a good week.